Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. of bringing design closer. My name is Jerry Scullin and I'm a service designer and I'm the founder of This Is HCD and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for people within the design and change making space. You are in for a treat today, folks. I caught up with the one and only Joe McLeod, an all round great thinker and leader in the space of designing end experiences. Now based in Stockholm, Joe's just released a second book titled Endineering, which focuses on the how to design these incredibly important experiences for both businesses and the planet. Joe's first book titled Ends was released a number of years ago and really focused on the understanding of why these systems have not been put in place. In this conversation, we flick between both mindsets, both in the spirit of Christmas that is fast approaching, way, and we speak about the past, present and future. What are the behaviours are and the problems that have been left behind by our ancestors and elder family members. We speak about the present, where we are right now, and things that we should be doing both at a societal level, but also from a change maker space. The future may seem like a faraway place, but in this conversation you realise that it's not. Joe's a remarkable thinker, and I highly encourage you to purchase his books. He's an independent author, so support his work. Let's jump straight into the episode. It's a great one. Joe, it's great to have you here. Um, I'm delighted to welcome you to Bring in Design Closer. Um, I'm a, a long-time fan, first-time guest speaker to you, and um excited to chat with you today. Maybe kick off, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from today. Oh, great. Thanks ever so much for inviting me on to the show, Jerry. And um, re- really appreciate it because, um, you know, you're a, b- a big um, podcast star in the community. I don't so, know about yeah, that. Yeah, delighted to be here. Um, my A bit of my background, I've been a designer for years. I graduated doing graphic design before the web was around. Then I was really excited about the web, so started messing around with that for a bit. Then got into mobile, uh, done a lot of dot-com stuff which was super exciting for 10 minutes and then it all comes yeah. crashing down and uh but it was it was a really good experience and then mm. um i ended up doing apps in my last job at us too i was head of design there for uh, right. five years i think um which was great fun I yeah think one of the best jobs i've ever had probably and um but the most recent stuff I've been doing is around consumer endings or looking mm. at the end of the consumer life cycle. So yeah. that's where we're at at the moment. I mean, the the first book that you wrote is called Ends. And we're going to speak a little bit about that today. But you've also got a new book out called Endineering. That's which right. Which is a fantastic name. Um, I'm sure it came to you in the shower or something. You're like, oh. how, how did you come up with the name for Endineering? Well, actually, somebody suggest somebody said something to like, "Oh, who's the head of engineering then?" Like, you're like, "I'll take as that." A passing joke. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny at the time, and it's been sort of chipping around as a thing, as a thought, and it's turned from a joke. Actually, it's really good that word because mm. we do need to 
en- engineer endings, I think, and take mm. a lot more of a serious look at how we plan and design those type of things and execute them. Yeah. And also, it's a unique word. So hashtagging that and uh, making making that a thing is um, quite quite convenient online. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the first book, um, if anyone hasn't read it, um, go and buy it and read it and support Joe and his work because it's it's fantastic. And it focuses mostly on the why, um, why businesses aren't designing these things, why consumers aren't thinking about these things, I guess. Um, is that fair to say? Is, is that, is that yeah, a... yeah, that's right. Um, so when I first started looking at it, I mean, maybe if we go back before that book was written, I mm. had a couple of experiences, um, one of which was this rubbish experience with a voice recognition stuff on, on like, I think, Orange Mobile Phone Network. And that highlighted a real lack of endings because I was so angry with it. I couldn't end it emotionally. <laughs> And then I set this sort of silly project looking back on it, which was about wasting rubbish in the world for a load of students at St. Martin's in London. And then they all came back with more stuff and, you know, like a mug with don't waste things or avoid rubbish. And yet we created Created more rubbish. And it was just sort of this clarifying moment of this gap and what was revealed is basically a hole and i didn't have anything to put in that hole in terms of thought it was i had no vocabulary i thought about we mm. don't design endings and this hole stayed with Moment. me for years actually decades i was really <clears throat> i became quite fascinated with endings after that and then the first book really looked into that hole and looked at why don't we consider endings in our in our broader life mm. that sort of started to move towards consumer experiences. Mm. And um, and that first book was the why, and that goes right, right back in history to the sort of Protestant uprising, the plague, and it frames how consumerism came about through this sort of desecularized uh, Protestant worldview of endings and um, how um, not, not, I'm not religious, but I'm not, not, sort of offend any religion or something mm. it's just this observation around the relationship with death heaven yeah. etc and how that has been utilized in the build-up of the industrial revolution and consumerism more generally let's break that down a little bit joe because it's something that i'm i'm interested in as well my, my wife is protestant i'm catholic right um and it's become a thing i guess over the last we've been together for nearly 16 years um, so it's not something we've just spoken about going, Hey, did you know that you're going to die? I'm going to die too. But, um, <laughs> I'm a little bit more planned out and kind of like, I know where I'd like to be buried and so forth. But, um, well, what are the things that you found? Like you mentioned the industrial revolution. Let's break that down. Tell me what you mean. So the industrial revolution is that in Northern Europe, it essentially is a, a sort of emerged from Northern Europe. Northern Europe at the time was, um, dom- predominantly, um, Protestant. And um, looking at the challenges that those two groups had had over centuries previously. So uh, if you just look on the plain level, in the in the Protestant worldview, you don't really get a chance to renounce sin or adjust and align towards that death, the, mm. the end of life and death. So uh, you pretty much turn up at the pearly gates, as it were, and um, you're judged. And in the Catholic religion, you can adjust and mm. move and renounce sin and stuff so there's there's a different relationship there with about endings in the catholic sort of religion i think 
uh, yeah. talk a lot more about death in an open way, but the Protestants tended to uh, shove that down a lot more emotionally. That's definitely true. I know and, because talking about wakes, um, I, I like my my wife hasn't experienced a wake, and to me, um, I, without sounding too morbid, but there's nothing better than a good wake because you actually get together with people that you haven't seen for a long time, and in a really morbid way, it's actually quite a quite a fun time and it's um obviously it's sort of underlying um you know sadness it's a powerful sounds. reflective tool isn't it that um, really i think many and and going back to the religious thing again martin luther when the protestants first came about he removed fasting from the religious calendar now the i, I believe in the catholic religion it's not organized as explicitly now but it wasn't removed till a lot later on so martin luther removed that before the um before the Industrial Revolution. So you've removed this. Imagine that tool, how powerful that would be to have a tool that says, remove yourself from the abundance of life and now reflect upon how lucky you are. Yeah. If In a consumer context, that would be incredibly powerful. But that was that was removed in the sort of the area which where the Industrial mm. Revolution started to emerge. That's really interesting because that whole power of reflection is kind of where we're at um, yeah. after COP26 and stuff where... We Absolutely. need to take take a step back, yeah, and, and, and readjust exactly. And when we don't build in these sort of moments of reflection at the offboarding and ending of consumption, then we have no we have no measure of how we resolve the consequences of consumption. So we're quite muted in terms of our our ability to to really judge mm. that and measure that. And so there's a big big sort of psychological problem in in that. So you think that's been carried across um, over centuries into where we're at now at the moment, the whole kind of the inability to reflect um, well, well, consumer fatigue? Yeah, and what we've done, what we've tended to do over like centuries, this is, so it's really hard for us to grapple with it now, in in my view. Um, we've split our, we've all have this psychosis in us that is a consumer self and a civil self. So on one hand, I'm incredibly sophisticated at valuing understanding measuring uh, an object in terms of purchase or a, a consumer experience in terms of purchase and usage so i ha we mm. all have a very sophisticated ability to measure that but at offboarding i then resort to my civil self which has an overwhelming task to try and value the end of product life so i'm the one in my civil self my civil self that half of me is concerned about the environment is worried about how to recycle is you know has all of these other values mm. and other concerns and these two individuals never get really an opportunity to come together inside the consumer life cycle so because the consumer life cycle ends very abruptly emotionlessly and there's an enormous separation between the usage experience and and the end experience mm. like that measurement piece is something that due to the inanimate object that is usually sitting in a kitchen or something like that's what I'm sort of picturing it at the moment, is never really measured post-purchase. No, it, no. It just sits there dormant and, you know, they kind of go like, they fell for it. Who knew that you needed 16 kind of different dials on a wash machine or a dryer or a fridge or a refrigerator or whatever it was. So... Where, do you have any insights in terms of where they're at? With yeah, I mean, with measure measuring is a really good way to look through this lens. Mm. So, as a consumer, I am measured 
in terms of usage and uh, targeting in mm. ever such complicated ways. And I understand and can measure myself in those terms. I've got X amount of money. I've got X amount of these types of things. I've got X amount of followers. I've got X amount. Mm. So I'm measuring and valuing myself in the consumer world all the time yeah. in terms of usage, understanding what I'm valued at, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to the end of the consumer life cycle, a lot of the measuring tools drop off and we resort to science, scientific measuring devices. Mm. So you, if you've ever tried to measure your carbon impact, you can see how complicated, uh, yeah. non-user centric that is, is to apply a scientific, very complicated measuring de uh, device to um, the impact you're making as a consumer. And if we can't measure these things as a consumer-centric way, then we're never going to get the consumer to reflect about mm. that uh, about that ending or even improve. What's that saying? That you know, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Yeah, absolutely. We can we can speak a little bit more about why. But one of the things that um, I was thinking about in the lead up to this conversation is it's been a couple of years since you released that first book. Um, if you had the chance to go back and uh, add something to it now, based on what you've learned over the last number of years and where we're currently at, what would you add to the book? Well, for starters, I've realized writing about digital doesn't very last very long. So there's a whole <laughs> digital chapter there, which is very out of date, I think now. And would, yeah. I would revisit, revisit that and certainly maybe not make so many statements about digital mm. because they change so quickly. Um, other aspects of it, I think, you know, I'm very proud of the book um, in terms of how it takes that passage through history and psychology mm. and, and sort of philosophy. Um, I never really wanted to write a book, really. I'm quite dyslexic and it's really not much fun writing. Mm. So it's not like, oh, the joy of writing. That That's not me. It's like, oh, my God, writing. So it was quite a mountain to climb. And so glad I'd done it. Really. Yeah, and now you've done it twice. Um, yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you walked into the wall twice. Yeah. <clears throat> now, for people who don't know and don't follow Joe, Joe lives in uh, Stockholm in Sweden now. Yeah. So you've got the power, like I do, to compare um, different cultures and stuff. Me living in Australia for, yeah. you know, whatever, 13, 14 years and um, coming back and I'm now in this eternal conflict state where I'm like, yeah. Comparing the two, never, never particularly happy nearly all the time. How does Sweden compare to where you where you originally brought up? From the UK? Oh, mm. Well, on many <clears throat> different levels. I don't know about um, in terms of endings and consumption. Because um, it's a secular it's a, society, isn't it? Sweden's secular. Well, yes, it is secular. I mean, the UK is fairly secular as, as well. Um, the separation between the church and stuff sometimes blurs a bit more in the uk i think there's a lot mm. more um on the monarchy yeah exactly stuff like that um but i think because sweden's a smaller country uh their language is um obviously far more unique than english which is incredibly dominant i, I just as an english-speaking person coming here you forget how privileged you are speaking English going around the world and yeah. almost everyone here speaks absolutely perfect English yeah. and it is embarrassing to think how few people in the UK speak another language and yeah. um, I, I find it humbling how um, you know this culture grapples with having this very dominant language everywhere yeah and, uh, for every other country as well around Europe 
Yeah, it is definitely like I felt that um, being Irish, of course, we speak English. Um, thanks for that, uh, John. We won't go down that road, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but look, when, when I was looking at ends and engineering, um, and I was chatting to you beforehand about splitting maybe the conversation up into three different parts, like the past, present and future. Right, right. And the, the past behavior is that I guess my, my parents and my ancestors and stuff, they were involved with buying all these things. We've, we've inherited this problem now that we've kind of like, mm, how, how do we kind of clean up the mess? Um, so in terms of what where we're at right now, um, it's 2021, just before Christmas. Um, what does that look like? How, how big is this problem? Oh, I think this problem's absolutely gigantic and it is very frustrating when you look back in the history of grappling with all sorts of pollutions and, and mm. climate change. I mean, we're at 26 of COP now. COP started in, I think, 72. So it's been going ever since I was a born. And I think that gives you a perspective of um, yeah. how little we really grappled with it. Or progress. Knowing full well that there's a problem with it for many decades. Yeah. But when I think about the past, present and future I think, um, yeah, we've got to grapple with this right now. I hear people saying, oh, I think the next generation are the ones to do it. And that's, when I hear people say that, I think, what, are we going to breed our way out of this? I yeah. Think, you know, it's going to be our, fuck our way to the future so we can have more kids. They'll deal with it. Yeah. And that really can't be done. We've got to deal with it right away in this If anything, we need less people. Next few, next few years. What, can I ask a question? And it's going to seem like such a stupid question, but what is the problem? Do we know the problem? Well, overconsumption is a, a massive problem on lots of levels. I mean, climate change is definitely on the agenda, but it's not the only thing that's damaging the environment. Hmm. Um, I mean, from my point of view, I look at this through the lens of consumerism and design and creating consumer experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, I look at this and and see how many years we've gone without considering rebalancing that offboarding onboarding experience yeah and if we can't do that for the consumer to get them to engage in the and in, in the issues i mean we talk a lot about behavior change but it's it it feels fairly barren if we can't work out what is behavior change in terms of um in terms of executing that in the consumer experience because we can talk all we want about like oh we've got to change our behavior and reduce our carbon footprint what does that mean to the consumer we're still sending consumer goods like there's no no problems at all so yeah. we've got to start making behavior change part of that consumer experience yeah. and i believe that is about making endings more responsible reflective yeah. and purposeful there's uh, just on that topic like there's a responsibility at the consumer level there's a huge responsibility on the business level like to actually walk the walk and talk the talk there was a, a scenario here where i was back and forth with a, a supermarket chain in ireland called super value i'm going to name them i don't really care yep. so um i did my shopping online we're still kind of um very much covid you know risk adverse here and the shopping came in and there was 12 bottles of seven up cherry for free in the in the thing and i'm for like free for free okay so um and of course there just were just in case the first bottle didn't really grab you yeah. you're gonna have to have another one to really push you into the <laughs> yeah the cherry place. one yeah seven up cherry as well like it, i'm not even into cherries like 
but and they had like you know beautiful kind of like for free your plastic label on the top of it and i i put them out on the the counter in the kitchen and um i went went mad um i was like how suddenly i've inherited this problem i'm like how am i going they're not going to come back and pick up these 12 bottles of free seven up cherry <laughs> i'm like no one's going to want them okay so i've inherited this literally shit pile and um i'm like i could pour it down the sink but then i've got the, the plastic and i'm like you know anyone who knows me knows i've been sitting there kind of looking at them for a few minutes kind of going and what will i do so i did what everyone else and probably listens to the podcast i hit them up on twitter and i'm like seriously is this is this how you guys you know support the the initiatives that you talk about like being sustainable and yeah. you know, all kind of stuff by how many of these orders are you doing a week you're probably doing about 15 20,000 a week are you giving 11 or 12 bottles to them as well and i'm not stupid i know you're also getting money from um probably coca-cola for for giving these out yeah so walk the walk but anyway i'm in a bit bit of a mini rant about this and uh eventually i got a hold of the, the store manager and they said oh we'll we'll send somebody down to pick them up and i go but you need to give me my promise that you're not just going to throw them into another bag. I said, you need to have some sort of social responsibility and allow people to opt in or opt out and say, I don't want this stuff and I never want any free stuff because I'm not going to uh, use it. Um, and they were like, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Four weeks later, I got another four bottles. Four uh, bottles of cherry. Cherry, cherry seven up again, back on Twitter. And I'm like, this is what I mean. Like it's it's repetitive. And um, I, I don't believe businesses have even come to the table to think about these things it's a pr stunt for them to talk about sustainability um and it's it's a it's a tough one because we need them to come to the table as, as probably quicker to help guide the, the consumer yeah. um, behaviors to change i i sometimes think that we we do blame businesses a lot many businesses are trying to do stuff but i think a lot of the time we um we just aren't talking about the same issues in the mm. right way I used to work at Nokia for years and people used to talk about, and some businesses do build in mm. obsolescence into their devices. But the real concern for me wasn't that, I mean, it would be great if businesses did talk about endings in terms of obsolescence because maybe they were planning how to rectify that or deal yeah. with it better. But um what was really worrying is that all the time I was at Nokia, we'd talk about all sorts of aspects of onboarding and usage and distributing and never had a conversation about how do we get all this stuff back and process it into yeah. new things. And very few companies do that. I mean, uh, like, for example, Apple takes they, they'll take back. your phone back and they'll take it a bit and use those things and they, they've got quite a good scheme. But that's a very rich, expensive company doing yeah. doing stuff like that and they're, you know, maybe doing good in that sense. I mm. mean, I've got other criticisms of them, but that, maybe that's a good thing. But loads of companies aren't even thinking about ending. No. So, like, they're thinking about promotion and that onboarding experience. So, like, the promotion of shoving have 12 bottles, fifth, how many in all? Tw 16 12. bottles of cherry Coke. Oh, down 16 your... in total, yeah. But yeah. Um, I didn't, none of it passed my lips. And funny, when the delivery guy came back the second time, he knew me. And he yeah. was like, oh, here, here he is. And I'm like, there better not be anything in those bags. I said, apart from what I paid for, like, I'm I'm a complete and utter anomaly. He's like, I can't believe you don't want any free stuff. Yeah. And I go. Especially I, cherry. <laughs> even he said, he said, I wouldn't drink it. And I'm like, right, okay. It's you, interesting you, though, isn't it really? The 
the burden you've been given. If you went around to do all that to customers of anything almost and gave them something which was just a massive burden to them. Yeah. You're going to get really sugar high on this. Although it's free, you're going to get a sugar high, then a sugar crash. And then you've got a load of plastic to process. And it's just hasn't been thought out. Someone from Coca-Cola goes, hey, we've got a new a new flavor we want to push out to uh, the consumers. Maybe we'll just give it to them for free to get them hooked. And I mean, they're giving it to the wrong person. I am definitely one of the worst customers to be meeting at the door because I'm like, what, what's this? But um, it's interesting. It's it's just one of those anecdotal stories I wanted to throw out there. I think um, examples onboarding, offboarding and the, and the grappling your consumer self and civil self are having, I mean, that that's sort of revealed in that, I think. Yeah. Um, they did, like, they did apologize and they said like it didn't happen again, but then yet again, nothing has changed in, in the system that when you go to order your food, um, I still was given free coffee then a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, look, take this back. I don't, I don't want this stuff. I'd, I'd rather use my own ethically sourced coffee. And I know I sound like a complete snob when I say this stuff, but it's, it's how I live my life. I'm, I only want to consume the stuff that I buy. I don't want people to be bringing me stuff that is inevitably going to probably end up in the bin. Yeah. But um, so look, we're looking at the past stuff, and um, it's we've identified it's it's a huge problem. Like, okay, so do you know of anything there that you can add to the how we're processing that that past stuff? And I know when you're in Dundee, you mentioned there to me with the design council. Well, I think I think um, with the past stuff, I, I doing a really deep historical look at why we do this instead of I think we often look back at like a business and blame mm. them. And we only look back like a few years, like this company done this in such and such a year, when actually we never look really back at how our society has been framed sociologically around the wider consumer experience. And um, Mm. that doesn't come under the spotlight as much because I think we do look into far too close a lens. I, I mean, was it David Attenborough was talking about how democracy really makes it hard to deal with long term impacts like climate change because... Mm. No one's in power long enough to really take responsibility to to see the to see the impact or take the responsibility of of um of changing it. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, like you know. But if we fast forward, I feel like um, there's a movie, isn't it? There, the past, present, and future uh, Christmas movie. So I feel like we're we're probably doing a Christmas themed podcast here, folks. Um, yeah, it what's that one called? Next, it will come out, I guess, in a couple of weeks, won't it? December. Yeah. Which is when the shopping's on. Yeah. Actually, we could talk about that for a bit. Let's like, do it. Let's talk about it now because the present, where we're currently at, we're, we're approaching Christmas. We've already mentioned the the conflict and personal conflict as well. Like, you know, in, in terms of my own household, what Christmas looks like for the kids. Yeah. Um, if you want to take action this Christmas, Joe, you know, what would you say to people out there? Well, I have been thinking about doing a Christmas book for a few years now. I thought you were going to say a Christmas song. <laughs> no, a Christmas book that is just like, how does it end? But it's, yeah. it's, it's photographed really beautifully with really lush, oversaturated images. Mm. How does it end? And it's like really cool toys, like uh, mixers. Sa- sad toys. The sort of things that you might buy at Christmas, photographed in great ways. And then all it's about is like, the average lifespan of this product is X amount of time, after which it could be dismantled in an appropriate way. But these types of things in this product are really hard to recycle. So it's sort of like the worst gift you could give at Christmas because it's such a horrible, sour, and it will ruin everyone's Christmas who's just received a 
lovely cool toy or yeah polyester I mean, jumper <laughs> i mean how do you handle the whole kind of santa claus thing and and um kind of family kind of giving you know gifts that are like dolls and all this I, I, i'm a big fan of christmas I'm, I'm not scrooge here i want to celebrate and and spoil my kids but how, yeah, how do you I, handle I think- that there's obviously some cliches I could talk about, you know, it's the spirit of it. And uh, when I think about Christmas on a personal level, it's been, you know, really quite drunk mid-afternoon looking at a really nice twinkly lights around the, you know, and really warm, overly warm because I'm burning up loads of carbon in the Yeah, in the quality fire. street, EastEnders. Yeah, something like that. But the, and I think um, I'm a parent of two kids. I remember feeling super anxious about the, amount of gifts that they would get not not the amount because like stop they've had enough it was more like this you know another thick toy that i have no idea how it's dismantled or mm. what type of plastic that is or what the metal is in this and it and it makes you incredibly anxious doesn't it and if we're talking about the past present and future you're sort of looking at your your the next generation playing with something which is probably going to outlive them in terms of landfill, like plastics like 300 years or something in landfill, can't it? And then, um, and you are doing this to instantly gratify yourself as a good parent by giving it to them. So there's all sorts of conflicts about past and future there. It's a tough one. Um, I don't know how to approach it myself. I just try um, what we're doing this year and truthfully, we're asking the family members. They, the kids don't listen to this podcast, do they, Jerry? They're not, you're not <laughs> going to spoil their Christmas presents. No, no they, they definitely don't listen to this as HCD. Yeah. They, they know that I do something with like a radio kind of thing, yeah. but they definitely don't listen to it. They might yeah, listen to it in no the future. listening because we don't want to <laughs> accidentally reveal about Santa Claus. Yeah, well, Santa Claus is, exists. He does exist, and we're going to see him now in two weeks. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yes. But um, I do kind of go, is that a plastic toy that you're giving the kids? Is that, where, did you, where did you source that? <laughs> did you buy that on Amazon? That would have been coming over on an airplane and that would have been a high CO2 emission there. So you probably want to rethink how you're purchasing this. You should be purchasing local. And they're like, get out. But um, in terms of like, we were asking the parents and the family members to give money and we're buying one present as opposed to Right. 50 yeah. um, and that that's one way to approach it I guess is, is rethinking about the volume and in yeah. terms of purchasing quality uh, over quantity um, in in terms of the present stuff that we currently have what are the behaviours that you're seeing that um, are repeating that we could probably do a little bit more around trying to change like for, for instance batteries I think we, we spoke about this before around AA and AAA batteries um well, well yeah. what should people do with those things? Because definitely Christmas time is is battery, battery heaven. Batteries aren't too bad because they they're actually fairly simple and they're high value inside them as well. So okay, lithiums like companies will definitely be up for like reprocessing them and selling the separate bits of metal. The real things you've got to watch out for, and I, just in the last ten years, I've seen so much very cheap uh, electronic products. So. Mm. Yeah, any Bluetooth speaker, like, so where's it come from? Who's made it? Who's going to dismantle that when yeah. the time comes? So I could probably, I could probably send all my Apple gear back to Apple and be fairly confident they might dismantle it and pull out bits and mm. bobs from it. But you're not going to get that with most Bluetooth head uh, speakers. Your earphone, your if you if you use um like 
headphones with cables they last so few time uh, so little time and the componentry in it is so cheap that it's not worth you know dismantling that is like quite costly for whoever dismantles it and all of these things are these are the really big problem things Mm. e-waste is gigantic issue I was actually speaking to Jerry McGovern about this. Jerry's um, a good friend of the podcast. He has Worldwide Waste, his, his oh, yeah. podcast. And um, we were talking about these things and the story came about, um, we have a toaster and a kettle downstairs, okay, that is now, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years um, old, okay, and it was given yeah. to us when we were, we were getting married and stuff from DeLonghi. My, my wife did some work for DeLonghi. And I was like, well, these look, it looks like a really kind of fancy kettle and toaster. Where am I going with this, Jerry? The value of those combined is about $350, okay? Wow. And I, I didn't, we didn't pay for them, okay, folks? Um, but they've never once given us any problems. I mean, nine years, okay? Yeah. Like, whereas before that, when we lived in Australia, we were going cheap and we were going to Target and we were buying a toaster and a kettle. And we went through maybe about five or six of them in, in a couple of years. They just burnt out and they you know, went into the bin and moved on. Um, how do you think the the kind of the principles of ownership, like I own this thing versus the cost? Okay, because $350, let's be honest, it's outside of the, the reach for most people. Um, I think it becomes a quite quickly, it turns into a class wealth issue. So uh, mm. it's... I mean, when you look at some of the issues that we've got in the world and the privilege of being able to make choices beyond those issues. So mm. if I think about the ease of which it is, if you've got money to purchase the right type of fruit and vegetables, organic yeah. or sourced or this type of that and this type of this and this is coming from here, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the food market, you're you're ever so privileged and the the rich have that choice. But many, many people, the vast majority of the world don't have a choice at all about where they get their goods from. And um, they have to get the most, you know, what they can afford, immediate, what they can afford, etc. And the same thing happens <clears throat> with other, other goods. So it's easy for me to talk about like, you know, having Apple products and what, yeah. what a what a poncy rich guide like talking about having two white dudes talking about like, like getting recycled. But you know, if you have a low end laptop that you're having to do work on, then then people don't have a choice. And this goes really deep. Mm. If you look through the lens, like if I think about endings and identity in terms of people having an identity, if uh, onboarding my identity as a rich Westerner in consuming all sorts of things is layered in very very thick. Way. Mm. So I have an identity as a as a voting member of the public because I live in a rich country which has democracy, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But underneath that, loads of these things are consumer driven. So I have an identity of a purchasing power. I have loyalty cards. I have um, an identity on this uh, social media platform, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these identities are very layered. Mm. Uh, but if then at offboarding and you think about your identity being removed very quickly so identity ownership is wrapped up in that loads of laws around ownership yeah. when i purchase something off boarding if i throw it in the bin it immediately gets relinquished in my identity and it is there that then the state and the municipal company's problem because it is waste mm-hmm. and that also happens in terms of 
me making an impact on the world, that waste is going to get then shipped downstream off border into countries that are going to put up with processing yeah. it with people who are very lowly paid. Um, the UN reckon there's about 1 billion people on earth that haven't got an identity to speak of. So that is a um, shocking number. And those are the people who are putting up with the type of um, Labor the impact of my consumption as a rich Westerner yeah. with many layers of identity who's working in democracy, etc. That is a is what I would call a wicked problem. Um, yeah, it's a massive injustice. And mm. I think you've got to think about that as a consumer. I The stuff that I do is impacting people who are faceless. Yeah. And, and it's that invisibility though, isn't it, Joe? It's yeah. it's you can't see that. Like it's like when you buy a toaster, at some point it's it's an angel, but at some point it's going to be a devil. Yeah. Um and it's it's that shift. It's it the, the, the twilight stage between the two worlds is kind of like that's the, the problem space that we need yeah. to need to understand. But Absolutely. just going back to the ownership piece, yeah. Um Jerry's point when I spoke to him was if we remodel the ownership framing and break apart that in terms of how you own things and like i don't know about you but in ireland in the 70s and 80s leasing things was was hugely popular yeah. you know you lease your your fridge and then when it comes term it you know it has has another life and so forth people don't seem to want to do that anymore like if if we broke apart that toaster and kettle combo at 350 dollars and it was split over like whatever nine years because that's expected life lifespan yeah. 10 cents or something a week or I don't know what yeah. it will be I'm yeah. used to something mats. people are throwing their eyes up to heaven for cherries mats. but anyway and I agree that I think that has gone away for a bit I remember like radio rentals in the UK I think yeah. my parents had a TV set in fact I remember <clears throat> my, it broke and my dad was a bit of a handy man with uh, electronics and so he took the TV apart oh. and um, to try and mend it and he put the it back together holds its again. breath <laughs> he put it back together again and uh, anyway, Radio Rentals came round and um, the had, clouds. Had, the, had the TV scattered across the floor. And uh, Radio Rentals came round to pick it up, saying it's not, not working. And because I was like only a kid, I was sort of really it's proud not working. of my it's, dad it's doing one this part's in, in the kitchen. <laughs> in, in, incredible achievement of breaking the TV to bits and then putting it back together again. And I said to the man, like, my dad's very clever, you know. He, he took that TV all to bits and put it back together again. Well, he was doing a favour, wasn't he? He was breaking it apart for people to recycle it, like, you know? Yeah. And you said but, to Radio Ends, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the ownership piece, and I think there were, you know, just going, and also a bit about the present and the future, we don't have to go back far to see a, what we weren't, the damage that we are doing now. So it's only been in the last sort of 30, 40 years that we've been just upping the damage. Yeah. And you go back and there was like better options in terms of um, um, rental. And But I, f I think there's a lot of companies who are moving towards that rental market for all sorts of goods now. And um, you see all sorts of companies moving towards rental. And that's going to be so much better. And, and just in terms of endings, the rental relationship is so mm. much easier at the offboarding because that company is going to take that material back and yeah. put it back into dismantle it, process it in their own place. Not yeah. And the strength in numbers. Offshore. Huge yeah. strength in numbers. Like a, yeah. com a company at Radio Rentals now will have maybe a million fridges and they're like, okay, well, we're going to do a deal with yeah. LG who are going to yeah. look after it. It strengthens the relationship <laughs> and strengthens the likelihood of it being 
taken seriously as opposed to one family in Croydon who's looking to get their fridge redone. And absolutely. And I think with IoT, that's going to help as well. It, I mean, people look anxious about it on many levels, quite rightly, with security. But the um, beyond that, it's going to enable a lot of companies to recognize um, improvements in their products and errors in their products. A lot of the time, these companies are just shipping stuff and leaving it in people's homes for 20 odd years until they get a new one and someone else deals with it. But now it's going to be a lot harder for them to to um uh, emotionally well not emotionally justifiably do do that yeah so with the present stuff um you know we're we're having these meaningful conversations i know you're doing uh, an awful lot of work um trying to get the, the word out there about the the importance of designing ends which brings us to the future state which i guess is any of the service designers user experience designers content designers whoever's listened to this podcast you're a change maker most likely um what do you say to them about going about leading those conversations in your organizations about selling in the importance of rethinking or just thinking about designing ends? So culturally in businesses, we have a massive aversion to ending. So when I go into any business, they mm -hmm. are almost blind to it. So I, on some levels, I often start with my, my wedding and my uh, marriage. As you do. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I say I'm I'm married. There's only two ways out of that: death or divorce. How many ways have you really thought about how your product ends? And a lot of companies haven't thought about any of them. They're sort of shipping these things into the lap of a customer and mm -hmm. never think about the ending. So the first big cultural jump is like trying to have that conversation, and that's no small thing. So in the book, there's um there's one chapter which is just about selling it into the business and mm. is the business benefits of that and that can go through all sorts of things so it's um in terms of legislation it's in terms of um benefits to your um bottom line so a lot of a lot of customers will be delighted that there is an end in, in an end in mind customers feel more comfortable about committing to a business that has an offboarding thing yeah. um i think there's there's a phrase about a uh, People like ha going on the on-ramp if they can see an off-ramp, as it were. Yeah, they know you're So that in. increases your thing. Um, people are more trusting of businesses that have got a better ending instead of trapping people in. So if you're doing mm -hmm. long-term sort of, um, if you're doing contracts that are, have really punitive um, early release clauses, which is stacks of different companies, cable companies, phone companies, etc. There's um, there's a load of stuff in there about why that isn't going to work for you in the in terms of customer satisfaction yeah so there's a lot of companies that have version alternatives of that they're getting better satisfaction rates from their customers instead of i'm entrapped in this mm. company relationship so that goes on there's a whole chapter about how you can how you can do business benefits and start those conversations okay. internally you can if you want to start the conversation or if you can just share this podcast around yeah i guess to start the conversation and then um i know you're offering training joe um around engineering yeah exactly um, th this book is, is closer to the how um isn't it yeah exactly so the first book was the why this book is the how uh so i mm. and it and it goes through all sorts of how to do it so the reasons to do it as i was just talking about in terms of a business sense it takes you through the characteristics of different types of endings your customers experience and how to design and improve those and it also talks about the phases the common phases that the customer mm. goes through so you can start designing for 
uh, that time lapse between the first inklings of the customer wanting to leave to uh, making sure they've really enjoyed that offboarding experience and uh, they get into a, a really happy sort of place at the yeah. uh, rebirth. Joe, we're coming towards the end of the the episode, okay? Um, Everything I'll, ends, Jerry. <laughs> we're going to have a smooth offboarding here. Yeah. Um, but look, we've already spoken about Joe doing or Joe McLeod doing a, a meetup with one of the chapters in This Is Hate City around the world. There's a couple of people in the the community kind of going, "We'll we'll take Joe," and I'm like, "No, we'll take Joe." So there might be a combo of chapters uh, looking to do something with Joe. So sign up to the newsletter. Um, in the show notes, folks, if you want to hear about the, the Joe McLeod meetup so you can actually ask Joe questions and so forth. Um, one of the most meaningful books um, that I've come across in the last few years is Ends. And I haven't read Engineering yet, but I will be getting it uh, in the next couple of weeks. So sign up, buy the book, support Joe, um, and you'll be doing some good for the world, hopefully. Joe, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, all of those platforms. You can go to the and end.co website which has all of the stuff i'm doing on there and you can get in touch through that um and yeah please reach out i'm also doing i do free gigs for education so if you're a student and you want me to talk at your university college i do a one hour session online half an hour talk and half an hour q a happy to do that anywhere on earth and um, if you're a business wanting to talk about this a bit more and investigate it a bit more, I do loads of different uh, models Options. and engagements around that. So get in touch. Let's design better endings. Yeah, nice. Joel, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jerry. And uh, thanks ever so much for having me on the podcast. It's been such good fun. Anytime. Can't wait for you to come back, Joe. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is Hate City newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.